may be seated. My name is Brett. I'm one of the pastors here at GCF where we exist to glorify God through gospel-centered worship, evangelism, discipleship, and community. It's great to be with you. We're in this series through Luke, and we come to this very famous parable, which is uh, not the first parable in, in Luke's gospel, but it's one that gives us insights into the purpose of parables. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to help us, and we're going to listen <clears throat> to what He has for us this morning. Lord, we are come to You as needy people, powerless to generate life. Lord, we, how can I possibly boast or we possibly boast during a sermon when this is what it says, that there's soil and there's seed? Lord, we have no control over the soil at all, but we, you do. So we, we beg you to give soft and good and honest hearts this morning, soil that's receptive to the seed of your word that grows and bears fruit a hundredfold. Please do that for your glory. Help me to be helpful and not distracting. Help these people to listen well. And Lord, we pray that you would reveal yourself, that there would be an, an encounter with the living God this morning that can't be faked. Please do that for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. I know a lot of pastors, and I am one, and one of the things that's really interesting about being a pastor is people come up to you because they want to know things. I want to know something. And what's really humbling is the older I get, the more I realize how much I don't know. And I become aware of this as people ask me, very challenging questions. People wonder, they say, hey, pastor, I want to know how the church can grow. How can we make the church grow? Do we add some programs? Maybe we uh, do big outreaches, big shows. Um, what do you think? Or they come up to you with more difficult questions like, pastor, I want to know what Jesus is saying in these verses here. I know what he's saying over here, but I want to know what does he mean by this phrase right here? Commonly, I have to appeal to other scholars. And then the most difficult questions of all. Hey, preacher, pastor, here's what I want to know. I want to know why it is that this person is a Christian and this person isn't. They were raised in the same house. They, heard, they were parented by the same parents. They went to the same church. These kids over here are believers. These ones over here, not. What happened? I want to know. And the, the reality is, is lots of times when we don't know things, we give up. We want to give up. We want to pack it in. Call it a day or a week or a life. We don't really see reasons to keep going if we don't know what's ahead or how to explain the world around us. But this passage here in Luke chapter 8 actually helps us. It answers some of those big questions. How does the church grow? Why do some believe and others don't? What is Jesus saying? And as we learn and, and know what Jesus is saying here, it will help us keep going. It will help us persevere. So that's the big application. Two words, know and persevere. Know, 
and persevere. That's where you're going. You're, you're leaving knowing something new, and that knowledge will help you persevere in the faith. Jesus has been preaching for a while now. He's probably by the Sea of Galilee here. People are coming from all over the region. He says there's a great crowd, and we get to listen to his teaching. And we're going to understand, as we understand it, we'll persevere in the faith. So we're going to look at four things this morning. First, we need to know what this parable says. We need to know what this parable says, which is pretty obvious. Then we're going to take a, take a pause, and we need to know what parables as a whole are about. What are they about? Why did Jesus talk in parables? That's the second one. Know what a parable says. Note the parable is a, parables are about. And now, third, we'll look at, we need to know the purpose of Jesus' parables. So there's going to be a purpose revealed. And fourth, we'll know the meaning of this parable where, where we will spend most of our time. All right, first... We need to know and persevere, and the first thing we need to know is what this parable says. What does the parable say? Jesus, he loves to tell stories. He loves to make comparisons that teach lessons, and that's really what a parable is. It's, it's a story or a comparison or something like that that teaches some spiritual truth. But let's know what this one, this parable says by reading verses 4 and 8. And when a great crowd was gathering... People from town after town came to him. He said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So here's Jesus, this great religious leader, this great miracle worker. Here we're listening to Jesus tell a story about farming. This great crowd is gathered around and Jesus starts talking to them about something they've seen hundreds of times. Someone just out there with a bag of seed, scattering it in the fields as they walked. The same seed going out, but landing in different places with different results. Three places it lands, nothing. Nothing the the farmer is looking for, no fruit. But sometimes the seed lands in the right spot. And something crazy happens, something totally unexpected. This seed bears fruit way beyond expectations, a hundredfold, a hundred times what we would expect. That's what the parable says. So know what the parable says. Know what it means, and we should know and persevere. That's the easy part. You probably didn't even need me for that. Let's turn to the second main point. We need to know what Jesus' parables are about. Know what Jesus' parables are about. Why does he talk in parables? What's, he, what's going on here? Well, we'll know what Jesus' parables are about, including this one and those in the future, by reading verses, verse 9 and the beginning of verse 10. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. The secrets of the kingdom of God. The main purpose of the parables is to give us a picture of the kingdom of God. 
what happens. Now, the kingdom of God is where God rules, where God is king. He was building his kingdom in the old covenant with the nation of Israel. It's continuing into this new age, and now it's really picking up speed because Jesus, the king, has come. This parable is about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is closely related to the church, but they're not identical. Let me show you how they interrelate. I'm going to tell you these things quickly. God's kingdom creates the church. If God wasn't ruling, the church would not exist. It wouldn't have gotten off the ground. The church witnesses to the kingdom by proclaiming God's rule. So our job is to proclaim God's rule. Jesus is king. He calls us to repentance. He's, come, he's a king that loves us. He cares. He comes to lay down his life for us. So the church is further an instrument of God's kingdom rule. We're, the church is a tool. It's not identical to the kingdom. The church is a tool used by God to advance the kingdom. It's the primary way the kingdom advances. And the church protects and clarifies what God's kingdom is like. So the church is meant to be a little picture, a little outpost of the kingdom. This is what life is meant to look like under God's rule. So they're not identical, but they overlap and interrelate a lot. Jesus' parables are all about the kingdom of God, where God is ruling. Now that's something we need to know, and that will help us persevere. So we're called to, to know and to persevere We're hearing what we need to know. We know what this parable says. We looked at what these parables are about. And now third, know the purpose of Jesus' parables. Know the purpose. What is Jesus after with these parables? It's probably, honestly, for most people, the exact opposite of what you expect. The purpose of Jesus' parables. Let's read verses 9 through 10. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Most people think Jesus speaks in parables to give these like really clear explanations, to to clarify things, but Jesus says right here, it's the exact opposite. Parables are not shared so that things are easier to understand. Not at all. Commonly, they're meant to be the exact opposite. The purpose of the parables is to bring clarity to some people, his disciples, but to bring confusion and like mystery to others, a lack of understanding. So put yourself in Jesus' time period. You're wearing your traditional Jewish clothing, got your sandals on your feet, you're walking the dusty roads. I don't know what your job is. You imagine that. Someone tells you they're hearing the most incredible teacher. This guy, Jesus, he says things. Man, nobody else teaches like him. Amazing teacher. And you know what? He works miracles too. Healing people, cleansing lepers, you are not going to believe this. He includes women, as we saw last week. Women are welcome. Outcasts are welcome. He's even raised people from the dead. You've got to come check this guy out. So you hear Jesus, you see the billboard, Jesus is coming to your area. So you, you put on your sandals and you're walking down the road, and as you get closer to where Jesus is, the crowd's 
gathering and growing and more and more people are coming. You show up and it's like this mega conference, this religious conference, the world's greatest preacher. People are excited to hear. They want to know what he's going to say. They've got all these questions for him. I want him to tell me what heaven is really like. That would be good. Oh, no, you know what? I want to know what it was like when when God created the universe. What did that look like? Maybe he's got insight into that. This guy, this guy, Jesus, he's building this massive church, the energy growing. Then he stands up, everyone silent. Here he is for a moment, let's listen. And he starts talking about dirt. Dirt. Seeds. And the newcomers are thinking, I gave up my afternoon for this. This is why I came out here? To hear this guy? What what is he even talking about? A sower goes out to sow. Yeah, no duh. Thanks, Jesus. Talk to us about something we're really interested in. We've got a, and you think his disciples are like, Jesus, we've got a, we've got a good crowd, a great crowd here. If you, if you start talking about this stuff, you're going to bore them. They're going to be like, what are you talking about? And they're going to go away. They're going to leave. Don't you want to hold on to them? They'll never come back. Maybe Jesus' strategy for building God's kingdom, strengthening the church, is a little different than the way humans think they should. Maybe Jesus is not quite so interested in appealing to entertainment and pleasing people as we would be or as the disciples would be. Maybe Jesus isn't interested in entertaining people at all. Maybe for some reason known only to him, Jesus is okay with people being confused and having them continue and not understand the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus is the most loving person to walk the earth, ever. He's the one most faithful to Scripture. He understands that there is a willful disinterest and rejection. Sometimes he just lets people continue the way they want to go. He chooses to let them go. Sometimes he even speaks in a way purposefully so that people don't gain spiritual sight. Speaking in a way they don't understand. Is this the Jesus you know? Because this is the Jesus that's right here. So says, like, yeah, I could make things clear for them. But I'm choosing to make it clear for you and not them. This is the Jesus that really existed. And yet, Luke writes this explanation, which we'll get to in just a moment, to us. He wants you to know, cares for you to know. And that's because, quick side note, the reason why people wouldn't have understood the kingdom of God is because Jesus hadn't died yet. They thought it was all about rule and reigning and ease and comfort. Jesus says, you don't get it yet. But Luke writes after Jesus has died. So Luke wants us to know things. Jesus wants us to know things so that we persevere. We need to know what this parable says, which we saw. We need to know what these parables are about, the kingdom of God, and then what this parable's purpose is, which is sometimes mysterious. 
And now he wants us to know the meaning of this parable. What does it actually mean then? The meaning of this parable is to understand that there is an end-of-life evaluation. To keep our farming metaphor, there is a harvest coming. There will be a harvest. There is a judgment. And that's a call to persevere in believing, to keep persevering, to keep believing, to keep the faith. To know the meaning of the parable, we need to look at four things from the parable. Birds, rocks, thorns, and fruit. Birds, rocks, thorns, and fruit. So meaning number one, birds. What does that tell us about the kingdom of God? What does that tell us about the meaning of this parable? Birds prove to us that some unbelief is demonic. Some unbelief is demonic. There's a devil out there. Let's read verses 11 through 12. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The meaning of the birds is that some seed doesn't grow because there is spiritual dark forces keeping it from landing. And probably this is happening right now. I don't know. There are spiritual forces out trying to harm you. A devil, demons. When you hear the preaching or read the Bible or your parents are trying to talk to you about God's truth and you just think, this is so boring. I'd rather talk about other things right now. It could be the devil is at work in your life. It could be that that's why there's no faith. There's no belief. And so you won't persevere. You won't bear fruit. And Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So meaning number one is the meaning of the birds. The birds teach us that some unbelief is demonic. We need to know that. It doesn't get the chance to persevere. So let's look at meaning number two, the rocks. Meaning number two is the rocks, which says this, some unbelief is revealed by hard times. Some unbelief is revealed by hard times, challenging trials. Let's read verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing, fall away. If you shop in enough grocery stores and listen to the music over the, the radio, you'll hear this at some point or another. Now, Muriel plays piano every night, every Friday at the Hollywood. And they brought me down to see her. And they asked me if I would do a little number. So, and I sang with all my might. She says, tell me, are you a Christian child? I said, ma'am, I am tonight. That's Walking in Memphis by Mark Cohn. But Mr. Cohn has got something wrong. You're not a Christian if you're just a Christian for one night or one week or one month or one year or decades if you don't bear fruit to the end of your life. I've seen this so many times. People hear the gospel and they're all so excited 
And then the hard times come. Oh, the family doesn't really like this new way of life. The pressure's just too great. Ah, or you know, we're facing these challenges, and instead of going to Jesus, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to substances instead. That'll help me. Or a new philosophy. Or entertainment. I'll just entertain myself. Dull the pain. Or they face a time of testing with their children. Their children reject the faith, and they think, well, I love my kids so much, maybe they're onto something I'm not. So they walk away. Do you have roots this morning? Would you choose your children over Jesus? Would you choose your job over Jesus? If you don't have roots that hold, you really aren't a believer. Will you persevere? And Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So we need to know the meaning of this parable. Birds reveal that some unbelief is demonic. Rocks mean that some unbelief is revealed by hard times. And now three, meaning three, thorns. Some unbelief is revealed by distracted times. Some unbelief is revealed by distracted times. That's what the thorns are about. Just distracted. Not necessarily hard. Just minds elsewhere. Look at verse 14 with me. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. If you have cares, it's usually because things have gone pretty well for you. You have the spouse, so you care about them. You have the children, you have the house, you have the job. And you realize you have something to lose. And it's distracting. Every single person in this room needs to hear this. You can seem to be following Christ for decades and still end up choked by the cares of this world and not bearing fruit. And the way fruit is used in the New Testament, it's a prerequisite. If you aren't bearing fruit, you're not the right tree. You never were. So you can seem to be following Christ and end up just choked out by the cares of this world. You start coaching Little League. You start a part-time job to boost the family income. You get distracted with the Rotary Club or the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation or becoming a volunteer at the local museum. You're just so busy. You realize you don't spend as much time praying. You can only make it to church once in a while. And you don't realize that these things are cares. They may not be scandalous sins at all, but they're choking the spiritual life out of you. And you don't persevere. Or you get riches. And riches are a big deal in Luke's gospel. He's much more concerned about rich people not believing than poor people. So you, your business takes off and succeeds. You get a promotion, the raise, the financial windfall. You go on vacations. You invest in the market and in real estate. And none of those things are sins. None of them. But you're so distracted, they're choking the life out of you. And you don't persevere. 
You graduate high school or go to college or graduate from college and so many good things are happening, you realize you just haven't read your Bible in three weeks, haven't prayed in a month. You like to be comfortable. You like nice things. You want excitement. You overindulge in alcohol a little bit. Or you retire and you want to spend your retirement just taking it easy. You get, you get the attention of this young, attractive person and you begin an affair. It's just pleasure, after all. You get comfortable in your relationships. So you don't challenge your adult children in their unbelief. You don't pray for your neighbors. You just go to the lake with them. And those pleasures choke the spiritual life out of you. And you don't persevere. Now, I have faced some times of testing, fairly minor, had cancer a couple of times, death of loved ones, had, had divorces of people I love. I've seen some suffering that leaves me with some challenging questions that I don't have the answers to. But I've passed through some of those testing, so it seems like I'm not the seed on the rocks. But when I read this passage, I wonder, not saying I doubt my salvation, but I think time could reveal there are thorns at work in my life. Slowly, maybe subtly, choking me from truly bearing fruit. So it's not how we start that matters, it's how we finish. And Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So know the meaning of this parable. Birds mean that some unbelief is demonic. Rocks mean that some unbelief is revealed by hard times. Thorns mean that some unbelief is revealed by good times. And now meaning for fruit. What's the meaning of the fruit? Fruit is about true faith that perseveres from a good heart. Heart is the key issue here. True faith that perseveres from a good heart. A good heart. Let's read verse 15. And as for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. The way Luke uses the word fruit elsewhere in the gospel shows us that fruit is a necessary mark of true faith. Required. Unless you're truly bearing fruit, you are not a follower of Christ. So the first birds, rocks, and thorns all mean that a person, despite all appearances, does not believe if that's what the way their life reveals itself. But notice the nature of this fruit. It flows out of a heart. It's the same seed that goes forth, the same word, but it's different soil. A good heart latches on to the word, and the word takes root in good soil, and it bears a hundredfold fruit. Imagine planting a seed and then getting a hundred of whatever it was from that one seed. But that true faith has to persevere. It is held fast, verse 15 says. And if you look back at verse 7, you see that it, it's the only soil that the seed actually goes into. The word into is used. The others just kind of bounce off the top. Same word scattered. 
three soils result in no life, but one does. What's the difference? The heart. As a preacher, it's been joyful to hear this, but I've had people come up to me and say, my friend was converted when you preached that sermon. And my response is always like, really? Like that? That week? Like that was, it was just the same old thing. Me saying the same thing, the same, repeating the same thing. Kind of boring. Although there's people sleeping in the back that week. What was happening? Always a bit surprised. The message of Jesus and his work went out. But something was different. The soil was prepared. It was soft. This should humble us. What is needed to be converted is a soft and good heart. So it's not education. It's not merely knowing. And the Bible tells us this in Ezekiel 36, 26. Because of the sin we inherit and the sin we commit, our hearts are hard as stone. We have hearts of stone. Now you can throw a seed at a rock as long as you want and it'll just bounce off. You can talk to the rock. You can pet the rock. You can water the rock. No change. Still a rock. This, none of it will make a difference. This is beyond us. This is beyond our power. But on some days, the heart is different. It's not rocks, it's soil. And only God, therefore, can give good and honest hearts. Now, isn't Jesus a great teacher? Who could teach like this? But maybe if we're listening to Jesus and you've heard this before, you're hearing it again, and you're sitting here and you're saying, yes, yes, I get it, Jesus. Jesus, I get it. I get what you're saying. You're teaching that there's just like their physical seeds work a certain way, there's spiritual seeds, it's the word of God. I get it. And I get it, Jesus. There's birds and demons and there's rocks and there's paths and there's thorns. I get it. I get it. But if we really have hearts of stone, Jesus, Mr. Teacher Man, and it seems if we're on the train to hell and we can't get off, we're meant to ask ourselves, Jesus, if we can't fix this, what are you going to do about it, Jesus? What's the solution? Mr. Teacher, and Jesus the teacher will say, I am the solution. I'm the solution. I'm going to be more for you than just a teacher. I'm going to tell you about the kingdom of God. Then I'm going to build the kingdom. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to live a sinless life as the perfect king and the perfect citizen all at once for you. And I'm going to go to the cross as a king willing to die for his subjects, to save them. And you know what? I'm going to defeat death. I'm going to overcome the grave so that you can live forever. And all of that work is buying you something, listener. It's purchasing you a new heart, buying you something. And, and, I'm, and Jesus is saying, once I ra am raised from the dead, I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who has the power to give you a new heart. I'm the solution, is what Jesus says. 
And then one day, the same old message is going out from mom or dad or the pastor, or you're just reading something, you're alive. And you believe it. And you're not quite sure why, but it all makes sense. The soil was prepared. It wasn't you doing the work. It was Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And the thorns don't choke you. You're in good soil. You're going to keep believing. So we should beg him every day of our lives to have a soft heart. We want to read and hear the word as much as possible. We want the seed going out all the time, everywhere. Let the seed come in and land on you again and again and again. Maybe you're sitting here and you don't believe this, but you're intrigued by Jesus. You're intrigued by this idea of the kingdom of God. Jesus says, keep coming back. Maybe you don't believe yet, but let the seed keep landing on you. We want to seek Jesus every day of our lives and hear this and have this seed land on us. And we should be willing to pray just as the man prays in the gospel, Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me. Tell Jesus every day you want to bear fruit. You want to take advantage of the chances to gather with others. Have your faith strengthened and deepened. Faith is a, can be a pretty feeble little plant sometimes. It needs watered cared for. So how do we persevere? When I think of the prospect of living another 30 or 40 years, it seems daunting. So I I lean on something I heard Alistair Begg say many years ago. I've shared it before. Just make it through breakfast. Just make it through breakfast. And then make it through lunch. Keep believing through dinner. Keep believing till bedtime. And then go to sleep. And wake up and do it again. And then one day you realize it's been 20 years you've been doing that. You preach the gospel to yourself. You don't trust in your ability to persevere. You trust in Jesus. The parable speaker who's willing to die so that, so that seed can go into the ground and die and bear fruit like he did. And you pray. You recognize that only God can soften the hearts of the people in your lives. So you pray. And you don't trust in your, when you share the gospel with people, you don't trust in your ability to share it accurately. You just scatter the seed. You go, man, I don't know where, I don't know where this is going to land. But out it goes. You just do it. You just Cast a seed. We can't control the soil, but we can cast a seed. And that's how the church grows. You just cast the seed. So you want the Word of God in the songs. You want the Word of God read. You want the Word of God in prayers. You want the Word of God preached. You want the Word of God in small groups, and discipleship groups. You want the Word of God in youth groups. That's what you want. You just cast the seed. J.C. Ryle, an uh, Englishman in the 1800s, was raised in a wealthy home in, the, in England in the 1800s, and he was a superstar athlete. He's one of the best cricket players in the nation. He went to prestigious schools, Eton and then Oxford. 
But growing up, he'd received very little religious education. His family went to the Church of England, but there was a church every week, but it was just formalism. There was no gospel preached there. Uh, He read the Church of England Statement of Faith only so that he could get college scholarships or the 39 articles, some good stuff in there. Never took hold. Then when he was at Oxford, he got sick. So he was being cared for and he started to pray and he started to read his Bible. But there was this lingering weakness and he wasn't sure if he believed or not. And then one day he walked into a church doesn't remember who was preaching, doesn't remember anything about the sermon. He remembers, though, that somebody who wasn't the preacher got up and read one verse. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, there's these short, powerful pauses. By grace are ye saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. The seed went out and it found good soil. Ryle was converted. What happened? Times of testing. His family didn't like this new Christian, J.C. Ryle. He's treated very awkwardly for some time after. Then his father's banks failed, and every part of their massive estate, which he was going to inherit, inherit went away. The equivalent of $80 million, gone one day. They took his dogs. The creditors took his dogs. Had nothing. He had to wear tattered clothes. Became a pastor out of necessity. But he preached and he wrote. And he scattered the seed. And it bore fruit. He got married three times. Each time a wife died before him. Buried him kept going. All his three sons all rejected the gospel. Kept scattering the seed though. He loved them, had good relationships with them. But his seed was good in good soil. He persevered, faced controversies and rejections. But he knew what this parable taught. He knew Jesus could be trusted. And he persevered through all of that. And you can too. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that the seed is always the same, that Jesus has come to seeking to save the lost, to die as a substitute for his people and be raised. And we pray, Lord, that there would be good soil this morning. We pray that our hearts would be good soil. We pray you would empower us to bear fruit. Help us. Help us to persevere. Help us to know that our faith is in Jesus Christ alone and not in our abilities or knowledge or anything like that. God, encourage us. Help us to encourage one another. For Jesus' sake, amen.